So we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark. We're just beginning, really. And we're in chapter 3, Mark chapter 3. So grab your Bible and turn there. And we're going to be looking at uh, quite a few verses today, uh, 22 through 35. But Mark has composed the this section to be a, a very important thought group. Uh, and it has to do with what I have on the screen right now. Yes or no, you decide. Who is Jesus? What should our attitude be toward him? And people have very um, strong opinions about who Jesus is and uh, how important he is or how, how he relates to me. He's, he's not a neutral subject. And, and then on the other hand, too, every human being must decide who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? How will I respond to him? Everybody, you, you know, regardless of anything else, this is the most important decision you will ever face. Uh, this most important spiritual decision, but just plain out decision. Uh, who is Jesus? And how does he relate to me and how do I relate to him? So again, we put in at verse 20 of Mark 3. And I'm, my plan is this morning, we, somehow we lost a half an hour. I don't know where that half an hour went, but it must have been good. But So I, I usually have a little bit more time, but that's okay. Uh, Sovereign Lord has a perfect plan for all of that. My plan is to kind of go through this text essentially three times. I'm going to read it through first with no comments and kind of go through it and open it up just a little bit and then close with, with some outline ideas, uh, the high points of the text, and what I believe uh, that the Holy Spirit is saying to, to us today from, from this text. Uh, so allow me to read, then I'll pray, and then we'll work on it together. Again, verse 20, Mark 3. And speaking of Jesus, then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder, plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. 
But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. Verse 31 now. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let me have a brief prayer. Father, in your kindness, open this word up uh, to each of us individually. Lord, I know that you are the sovereign Lord. You've composed this group of people. You've drawn them from so many different places. And it's absolutely no accident that they're here today. And that already they've participated in song and scripture and in prayer. But Father, in your kindness, open your word to each of us. Speak, O Lord, that we may hear what you're saying. Give us ears to hear through Jesus. Amen. Okay, that's reading one. Now, let's just kind of go slowly through it. It's a fantastic text. Lots of interesting uh, bits to it and strong words. There's just a lot to just ponder. First of all, then he came home. Don't you love getting home? I love I love going home. You know, it's always the kind of the best time of the day. I don't know, it sounds weird, but, you know, the day was really good, but I get to go home. You know, I'm so comfortable there, and there's usually food involved. You know, <laughs> you know honey, I'm home. What's for dinner? <laughs> That's kind of old-fashioned, but uh, still it has a nice ring to it, you know. Um and 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 he came home. We don't even know what home. Uh, the Bible does say he does, didn't have a home. Uh, generally speaking, Jesus was uh, like the he, you know he doesn't even have a nest like the birds have a nest. This, is, this could very well have been uh, Peter's home. This is in probably in Capernaum where we've been before, where Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Uh, but regardless, he counted it as his home at this time. But he's very popular. And a crowd gathered again. And it was so intense and so so busy. And he was teaching and pouring out that he didn't have time even to eat so that they could not even eat. That's how busy they were and serving and teaching. He's been teaching, teaching, and healing and casting out demons. And Jesus is pressed and a, a certain group of people hear about this. In, in the context, we hear that it's his mother and his brothers. Uh, you know, the Bible teaches that Mary had other children. This is the best way to understand this. Uh, she definitely had other children. Again, that's the best way to understand this. And here, honestly, let's just pause for a second. Mary is, is on the wrong side of things right now. She's actually encouraging Jesus uh, against 
doing the will of God. Right? Because look what, look what it says. It's, it's kind of uncomfortable. But it says, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. They, they literally wanted to, you know, grab him. Maybe put a bag over his head. <laughs> Straight jacket. Why? They say he's out of his mind. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm, we have to admit, Mary and, and his brothers and sisters are on the wrong side of history right here. Um, they, they've got it wrong. I got it, you know, they kind of think this is Jesus, you know. It's like out of his mind a little bit. Like, can't, you can't trust him. Whatever he's saying is uh, goofy. And uh, we, should, we should go get him. We should go get him because he's, he's a danger to himself and to others. Um, and we, we can't just let him go, go on like this. And so this is very interesting. And, and then uh, moving through the text, it says, now, now um, Mark is um, working on this theme of people who have divergent attitudes and, and uh, words for Jesus, right? So now he brings in the scribes, the mother of Jesus and the brothers, and apparently maybe some sisters were there too. They're thinking at this point, hey, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. Now the scribes, in verse 22, it's just delicious the way it's all laid down here. Uh, it says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, uh, as I pointed out before, where is Jerusalem in relationship to Capernaum in terms of north, south, east, west? It's south. It's very much south. Uh, but honestly, in a, the Jewish economy, Jerusalem's the holy hill. And, and when you're up there, you're at the top of the world. And anywhere else is coming down. And these, these guys are, these are, these guys are connected to God. And they're holy religious people. And they've got this radical, not even rabbi gathering all this attention and teaching. He's, uh, and they've got to come up with some solution to this. What do they come up with? They start accusing him of the worst Case scenario. Um, they, they have the evidence that he's casting out demons and healing people and teaching. And what do they say to him? The scribes who came down from Jerusalem. These are very influential people, too. The influential people in this society are throwing huge spears, metaphorically speaking, at Jesus. They say, he is possessed by Beelzebul. Now, that's just a horrible and sort of delicious sounding word all at the same time. Uh, Beelzebul is just an old-fashioned word for Satan. You know, it's like probably it means several things like Lord of the Flies or the, 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 the Lord or the God of Dung. That, that's Beelzebul. And they say Jesus is owned. He's possessed. He's the possession of the Lord of dung, the Lord of the flies. Yeah, he's certainly not the Son of God. He's certainly not the Holy One of God. Uh, he, he's dangerous and horrible. They've gone way beyond, you know, Mary and the brothers. The, Mary and the brothers, uh, uh, they just thought, well, he's out of his mind. 
right? They think he's a little mentally unstable. But the, the scribes are throwing the huge spears. You know, this is the biggest thing they can say about somebody. He's, uh, he's the possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables. Now, this is interesting. Jesus will have a conversation now with these people who've been accusing him of the, the gravest evils and throwing huge, horrible names at him. And it's actually a beautiful, uh, we talked to, Debbie talked about being humble and gentle when you're opposed, you have opposition. And, you know, the believers shouldn't be casting back uh, name-calling. Here in this text, certainly not the case. We know actually later on when they continue to <laughs> when they continue to resist Jesus, he will start throwing some bombs at them. Uh, but at this point, he's not. Um, uh, he says, "I, I want to talk to you. Can we, you know, can we sit down and talk? Let this reason. Let's think about. Let's talk about your argument. What is your argument here? So your argument is that Satan's against Satan. Your argument is that Satan is casting out Satan. And he kind of says, "Does that really make sense to you?" You know, this does not really make sense. It's just not adding up. How can Satan cast out Satan? Why would Satan work against himself? Uh, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Of course, Abraham Lincoln is famous for quoting this passage uh, during uh, speeches around the Civil War. A beautiful statement that you have to have unity. You have to have unity as a family. You have to have unity as a church. You have to have unity as a business, as a cohesive military unit. You have to have unity. You have to be together. The Bible, you know what the Bible says? We should be of the same mind. right? And Jesus is saying, this is not making sense that you're claiming that Satan uh, would cast out Satan. A house divided won't stand. And then verse 26 is kind of interesting. Says, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. To me, that's a little interesting because Satan is coming to an end, actually. It's almost a foreshadowing of what might be coming. Um, but that's not where he's going at this time. Uh, and then the, the last analysis he makes of their argument is, well, why am I casting out demons? Why? By the way, let's look, let's refresh our minds because there's this gorgeous thing up in verse 13 and 14. He's appointed 12 apostles, and these are official 12 apostles, uh, and they have a unique job, the 12 apostles. But it also definitely applies to us as well. We are called to be his his representatives and his ambassadors. Um, verse 13 and 14, it says, And he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles. And this is the part that's so wonderful. What, what is the true believer? What is the committed, obedient follower of Jesus to be? So that they might be with him, so the first level is be with Jesus, know him, 
trust his word, uh, know his word. He says, abide in my word that you might be with me and that he might send them out to preach. So the, uh, we as believers are actually sent out to speak for Jesus. You know, why has he placed you in the context in which he has placed you? Is it some sort of accident? No, you are supposed to be a Christian there, wherever there is. We are the missionary unit. We, I, we love missions and we support missions and we call missionaries and we send them out, right? But it's it like, they are they just a unique group of people? Like a certain percentage of Christians are supposed to be outreach-oriented? Do you think so? It's a very convicting question, right? Because we know that's not the case. We know that we are all saved to serve. We're saved to represent. We're sa and so he has you as a Christian in whatever capacity he has called you to be. And he wants you to glorify God. I, I keep borrowing from Debbie that that was an awesome word. That changing a diaper is holy. It's service. God, you know, and everything in our life is to be holy. Service, we're called, we're called what? Uh, living sacrifices. All of our life lived for the Lord God. And so, um, Jesus says, I want to cast out the strong man so that we can make some growth here in people's lives so they can be committed to God. And that's what verse 27 is. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. Jesus wants to do this. He wants people committed to himself and he wants to enter that house. But there's, there's some massive ob obsession, addiction, habit, or demon that has control of that individual and he says we got to get a hold of that massive habit uh, that it needs to be cast out. It needs to be tied up so that we can make progress uh, in coming to Christ. Then we can have our lives committed to God. Okay, uh, again, this is just my second reading real quick here. Plenty of time. Verse 28 is cool because it's that first time we have the word truly. Uh, in, in the book of Mark. If you are reading through this in the Greek text, you should notice that, whoa, wait, that's, that's actually not a Greek word. That's just a Hebrew word transliterated. It's, does anybody know what that Hebrew word might be? Did you say amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's right. Uh, the word is amen. And honestly, most of the time we say amen at the end of the sentence, right? And that was the custom for Jesus too. Uh, I mean, in his day. So when Jesus says, amen, I say to you, it's like, what? He just said amen before he started praying. <laughs> before he started instructing. Uh, it's really cool. And John, John records it that he said, amen, amen. Uh, no other writer records the double amen. What, what is this talking about? Hey, honestly, Jesus is certain he is certain about what he's saying. Amen means may it be. This is a certainty. And here is the certainty. It's, and it's a gorgeous, glorious certainty. Amen. Truly, I say to you, 
All sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. So before we move on to the scary part, you know, let's stop here at the gracious part, saying there's wide open glorious grace. Whatever sins you've committed, uh, whatever even blasphemies you've uttered, that's forgivable. And particularly if you're worried about it. You know, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin, that's an indication you can be forgiven. You come to Him in humility, confessing your sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's potent. Eternally and infinitely powerful. What did it take to forgive our sins? What did it take to forgive my sins? Is it some little, like, makeup test? Like, you know, we'll, we'll try you again and you can take the test and if you pass it this time, we'll forget that failing grade that you got the first time. <laughs> That's not the nature of sin. No, sin has to be paid for. And what does it actually take? Don't belittle the horrendous nature of sin by thinking that you doing a little good deed could pay for it. No, give up on that idea and come to the gospel idea that it takes the infinite, glorious power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin. And, and so that's what he's saying here. It can all be forgiven. But some of the most sobering words in Scripture are verse 29. Hear this, dear friends. It may be toning me out totally. How can I get you to listen for a second? Why does he say that? Because it's true. Let's go back to the truly I say to you. The Bible never teaches any form of universalism, which says that, oh, everybody gets saved. All dogs go to heaven. Um, no, there's, uh, there's a sin which never has forgiveness. What is that sin? It's when the Holy Spirit convicts you and you see the truth and you turn away from it. And, and he says specifically, you turn away from Jesus, for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. They're saying, oh, J Jesus is, you know, of the devil. I don't need Jesus at all. Uh, that's what they were saying. See, what they were saying is that Jesus is actually evil. He's, he's not, I'm not neutral toward him. I don't want anything to do with him. And if that's your life decision, if that's your final answer, then you will never ever be forgiven because Jesus is the only means of forgiveness. You know, and I'm not trying to be cute or weird, but these are the words of Jesus. You know, right? People want to say, well, Jesus was, you know, peace and love. Uh, he was a lot of peace and love, but he's also condemnation and wrath right here. And so we want to avoid this at all costs. You want to avoid this at all costs. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, don't turn away from it. Agree with him. Come humbly. Confess your sin. Cling to Jesus. It's the only means of forgiveness the only means of eternal life. And then, then the final part of the text is uh, one more. It gets us to where we want to go. And his mother and brothers came, standing outside, they sent to him. There's this, um, let's see what I'm looking for, staging here, right? Because where are the mothers and the brothers 
They're standing outside, and there's a crowd sitting around Jesus. You know, where should you be? Should you be standing outside making demands? You know, Jesus, you come to me. <laughs> you come my way, and I'll listen to you. Or do you sit at the Master's feet and say, when you say truly, I will believe it. Every true believer stands on every word he says. I heard Phil Keggy last night in a concert, along with, with Debbie, her dear husband. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Phil Keggy, but he goes back to the early 1970s in, in uh, Christian music. But that was one of the songs he sang last night. The true believer stands on every word he says. That's got to be our heart. You know, Lord, I stand on your word. I believe your word. I need you. I don't want to be making demands of you. You come to me. No, I sit at your feet. I, I love your word. The, the Psalm 119 says, I meditate on your word all the time. That's where we need to be growing into. Okay, so his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. What does he do? <laughs> he redefines family here. Family is not, you know, the blood runs thicker than water. Well, in this case, the spirit runs thicker than blood. You know, what's your real family? Your real family is those who bring you to Jesus to sit at his feet with them, not those who make demands of you to come away from Jesus. And uh, he answered, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. And all of our hearts should say, Lord Jesus, I want to be your brother. I want to be your sister. I want to sit at your feet. And anybody say amen to that? Amen. That's where we. That's what the true believer says. I want to be so close to you that I'm like your brother. And I, I want to be your true brother who's faithful. And it says, verse 35, and whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So again, I'm kind of working through this. Uh, I like this picture because it's a guy holding his ears. Because Jesus brings in the opposition and analyzes their arguments and gives them really good arguments. Do you think he did that because he was certain they would be convinced and drop all their arguments right then? No, I don't think so. I think he, most of them will not hear. Should we give up on people anticipating? Well, they'll never believe anyway. No, we should not. We should reach out to them and try to reason with them and, and bring in their arguments and analyze and think and talk together. And perhaps, even, even the scripture that we heard already this morning, perhaps God will grant them repentance leading, leading to change. So even though we don't expect them to listen, Jesus gives us a good example of reasoning and reaching out to people. What are we to learn from, from this super uh, center section of this? He, teaching, he teaches us an important lesson on change. How does change occur? We must bind the strong man first. He says, why am I going through this demon casting out? It's because 
you can't reach somebody who's overwhelmed by a habit, by an obsession, uh, by a demon. You have to get a hold of that habit, obsession, demon. And this is true of our own lives. Focus in. The Bible says, watch out for that sin that so easily gets you. You know, it keeps tripping you up. What is that sin? Is it pride? Is, is it lust? Is it comparison with other people? Is it, you know, what kind of sin attracts you to itself so that you can't break through? He says, bind that strong man first and then you'll start growing in the Lord. And he, and he issues this sober warning that I've already gone over. The sober warning is that it's possible to resist too long. And, and people won't think, well, I'll get right with God eventually. Eventually I'll do this. Eventually I'll repent. You know, eventually I'll turn away. Eventually I'll deal with this uh, obsession, this, uh, this habit, this addiction. And this text is saying, don't wait. Don't eventually this thing. Get a hold of it now. Uh, the sober warning is don't resist the Holy Spirit at all. True faith brings a new identity and new life. That's what we learn. The new identity is, I want to be a brother of Jesus. I want to be a sister. I want to be a mother of Jesus. I, I, I want a new identity and a new life. And I want to close with just a, a, a couple of scriptures on life. Uh, I've been, I'm always attracted to Titus 2, or the whole book of Titus. But recently I've been thinking a little bit more about Titus too, and I think it's so practical about becoming a, a brother of Jesus, becoming a sister of Jesus. How do we go about that? And Titus 2 is very, very practical on how we go about it. I was read, I'm going to start at verse 11, just a few verses. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This is beautiful, wide open invitation. All can be saved. You come to Jesus. What is the grace of God? It has appeared, and verse 12 is, it is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Last week I referred to this as well. Say no to it. These um, ungodliness and worldly passions that want to enslave us. The grace of God is Amazing gift of, of, of life, of forgiveness, of a new identity. This grace has been giving us, given us. It's to train us to start growing up and say no to the temptation that so easily enslaves us. Uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. This is a process training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We've got to watch our passions. We've got to watch our affections. We've got to watch our lusts and desires. How do you handle it? He says you be trained by the grace of God to say no to those worldly passions. And here's the kicker to me. And to live self-controlled. Oh, that... <laughs> I'd like a lot more of that to be self-controlled in, in almost every area of my life, in those intense conversations in the home when you're arguing over something really important like where is the remote to the television? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know how those conversations go. Or, or like, which route should you take? Whose GPS advice should you agree with? I don't know if you guys have those sorts of arguments, but I've heard some people do. <laughs> Self-control. To be a follower of Jesus, sitting at his feet, to be a brother, we're growing in self-control. I need it. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, here's a gem, by the way. Uh, sometimes people say, oh, the Bible never says that Jesus Christ is God. You ever heard that? It's a like, common thing out there. The Bible never really says that. Here's a text where it says it straight out. Okay? Look what the, the, in this grammar is super solid. There's actually a, a grammatical rule that says this is what it says. It says, we're waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that's the blessed hope. And while we're waiting for the blessed hope, we want to be increasingly becoming the brothers and sisters of Christ, increasing in our walk, our obedience, our faithfulness. Remember last week, I read Ephesians 1. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Too many saints think they can be outside the house occasionally yelling in demands to Jesus. I'm a saint. I prayed the prayer. I'm right with God. No, you've got to be in the house. You've got to be sitting at His feet. You've got to be faithful. Or you are not His brother or His sister. And Lord, make us all His brothers and sisters. Again, let me finish the reading here in Titus. Waiting for that great hope, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, that's why he gave himself, to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify him for himself a people for his own possession who are what? Lazy about doing what's good. Yeah, maybe it's a little warmer here and maybe you're getting a little tired. But listen to this. God wants you to be zealous. Zealous for good works. Looking for ways to do his will continuing on faithfully in what He has called you to do. Uh, not opting out because of your own you know, personal choice, personal pleasure. Uh, not entertaining those evil thoughts that come into our head like, well, maybe I don't love her anymore. Uh, I, this other person, I love this other person. You know, God, that's, that's satanic. It's a satanic attack on you. And God wants you to say no to that unworldly that worldliness and that ungodliness, and be zealous for good works. And now here's an instruction to all teachers. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So we want to be like a gorgeous aspen forest growing so wonderfully. We just passed through the Rocky Mountain National Park and you see all these beautiful aspens growing uh, in, in group just full of life. You know, living. And, and that's what God has called us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We commit this to you. And we ask in your grace that you would, as we leave this place, you would work 
in us uh, to, to uh, trust your word, to live your word, to be zealous for good works. And Lord, if there's a, a few here today who've never actually even uh, come to you in the first place uh, to receive forgiveness of sins, to, to receive that grace that is given, open their hearts right now to receive this gift of forgiveness and grace uh, through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.